Well, good morning, sir. Good morning. Is that birds chirping I hear in your background? Oh, can you hear that coming through? Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to escape Minnesota. We had two weeks of polar vortex temperatures, and I just had enough. So I'm in Phoenix. Nice. That's cool. And we are also joined today by the one and only, the mysterious, the Canadian, Mr. Paul Jarvis. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. I'm not somewhere warm. I'm in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we haven't had guests on the podcast for such a long time, and I think this is two in a row almost. Yeah. We're like just back to back. A little yeah. streak. Look at us expanding our influence sphere. <laughs> Paul, you are one of the co-founders of Fathom which I feel like is kind of taken off these days. Yeah, I'm the end team of Fathom. So Jack was <laughs> my co-founder. Jack was talking to somebody on Twitter yesterday and they were like, oh, I thought Fathom was just you. Is there a team? And he was like, yes. And he's <laughs> like, oh, so I'm the I'm the end team half of Fathom, which actually pleases me greatly because I spent last year kind of separating myself from being a known person and having a brand. So I'm like, Oh, it's working. I'm just one of the the people who work at Fathom now, which is pretty good. But yes, Fathom is doing well. You killed your like personal brand. Yes. Which is like very uh, counterculture. That intrigues me a bunch. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear about that a little bit. Like your your Twitter avatar is gone. It's like a white it's shell. Just a, I'm just a circle, I guess. You're just a circle now. Like you, if I recall, you were saying like you wanted to separate it's so funny it's like the exact opposite of what everyone was say has been saying like you want to separate your personal brand and who you are and all that from the company it's kind of different for me because i spent the last 20 odd years making products that were associated with my personal brand so info products books and courses and all that shit that i used to do <laughs> last year i killed off my newsletter which was my main thing that i did i had a weekly newsletter for eight uh, or so years and I just decided I had had enough. I was just kind of done with that. It definitely helped grow Fathom in the beginning. Um, me being a whatever quote unquote known person on the internet definitely helped Fathom at the start. And we would look at the how did you hear about Fathom box that we have on the onboarding thing. And it was definitely a lot of Paul Jarvis's written in there. But then as time went on, it wasn't. There's still some. I still look at Jack built me a dashboard so I can see all of the reasons. Because um, I don't want to log into a live database and look at that stuff because that would just be bad. So he built me a, a GUI for that. And there's still a few Paul Jarvis's, but it's kind of moved past that. It's kind of now people hear about the company through all sorts of other ways. And they know about Fathom without knowing about me, which I think is cool because I want it to stand separate from me. And obviously, I'm still part of the company. I'm the end team of Fathom, as we've discussed. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want it to be its own thing. And yeah, that's counter to what most people say or want or do. But I don't know. I guess I'm a bit of a rebel. <laughs> I got the sense when you did it that there was kind of a, maybe a little bit of an element of you wanting to decouple your like mental state from kind of the the whole world of like living online. Was that part of it for you? Part of the motivation? For sure. I kind of struggled with this because I think the reason why I built up an audience was because I was pretty accessible. Like if you wanted to email me, 30 odd thousand people had my email address. You could email me. I got a lot of emails. I've since killed my 
email account as well. So that helped me grow my audience. But then it reached a point where it was like, this is too much. It also reached a point where I felt like I didn't care about other people's opinions about my opinion. And that was hard to, it sounds super egotistical to say that, but it's also honestly how I felt where I was making a living having an opinion. And then every time I shared my opinion, I would get hundreds, sometimes thousands of people sharing their opinion about my opinion. And it was just like, this is like, I don't have the mental capacity to deal with this, both the good and the bad. Like there's definitely a lot of bad that went with it, but there's a lot of people who were just like, agree with my opinion for some reason. It just got to a point where it was like, I can't, yeah, I can't mentally and emotionally deal with this on a daily, weekly basis. So, yeah, so I just basically gave it all up. And now if you email that email account that all those people had, it just says like, this email is no longer monitored. And I switched to a different email, which has been amazing. I like having an email address that like 15 people know. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Fresh start. Yeah. Like if you take a brain that has been evolved to like deal with maybe a band of 50 people and like expose it to an audience of tens of thousands it's just like this is this is bound to be difficult yeah i i'm not smart enough or have the mental capacity to deal (laughs) to deal with that i guess i never wanted it either i think there are people i mean right now i'm watching a documentary on takashi 69 and like his entire existence was just wanting to be famous I understand that, but I also, that was never, like, I never wanted to be a known person. I wanted to make stuff, and then I got known in, like, a tiny circle, not comparing myself to the success of Takashi 69 <laughs> <laughs> but also don't have face tattoos. I feel like that's one <laughs> realm that I'm just not going to jump into. It was never my intention to, for anybody to know who I am, and when that happened, I appreciated it, but on the other hand, I kind of resented it as well. So instead of trying to figure out and deal with that in therapy, I just kind of was like, rather do other things in therapy than talk about that. <laughs> so that desire for anonymity, it segues nicely into Fathom. <laughs> yeah, it does. So Fathom is simple, lightweight, privacy first alternative to Google Analytics. Are you sharing any numbers or indications of how that's going with, with the world? Just generally. So we have thousands of customers. Our revenue is very comfortably enough to pay Jack and I a salary as well as be profitable. That's kind of where we're at right now. And it's growing. Like it doesn't grow. It doesn't have the, the unicorn uh, like bullet to the upper right hand side of the graph, but like every single day it grows and it gets SAS. So it compounds there. Our churn is low as well. So I'm pleased with where things are at in terms of, the the revenue and it's nice that i can just focus on one thing as well i'm drawing illustrations this week i'm drawing like cats and graphs this week and like that's my job at the moment (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. this is kind of cool like i I kind of enjoy that i also don't have to write a newsletter or do this or do that or i talk to all like this is the only call i have this week this is literally the only thing on my calendar for this week nice yeah that's a good flex And it's just you and Jack, right? So you guys are handling it when customers email about support, you're handling that. Jack is theoretically on call all the time, right? Um, sort of. 
Okay. We the way we built the back end was so that he wouldn't have to be on call. So we use a lot of serverless stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff is managed and we pay for that, but we pay for that because right now it's cheaper than hiring somebody full time. And two, that's just what we've kind of found as the best solution for the software that we're building. So when we were getting DDoS and stuff, like he did get text messages quite late, a couple nights before we solved for that. But for the most part, yeah, he's working on data migration right now, which, yeah, is is all consuming. <laughs> and I, and I'm, my wife keeps making fun of me because she's like, he's working on real stuff and you're drawing cats all day on your iPad. <laughs> like, how is this a partnership? But <laughs> both things need doing. Yep, yep. <laughs> so... You have this work habit or something of shipping major versions of Fathom as like discrete elements. I emailed you about something and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do that in V3. And it kind of seems like you deploy a somewhat static version of the app and then maybe you're doing some small fixes to it, but it mostly sort of does its thing while you're working on a new distinct version in the background. Is that accurate? That's accurate and it's changing and we don't like it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we do want to be working on small features and iterate. But when we built the current version of Fathom, we didn't know as much as we do now about it. And we've been adding new features. And the way that, as you both have probably seen in the settings, like we've added a bunch of different settings for sites and dashboards. And it's getting the way that we architected it with the UX, it's hard to do things. And we didn't know the feature set that we were going to have now, like a year and a half, two years ago. So we don't want to be releasing big features like every once a year or so. But we've kind of built ourselves as far as the data and the architecture of it. And then as far as the UX and UI of it, we're building the version we're working on right now, V3, in a way that will help us grow to add features kind of as we want to build them in the future but right now that's not the case so we've been working on this for probably about six seven months and it's all consuming so i'm not just running cats i'm also doing a lot of ux and ui stuff (laughs) but we don't want to be there but that's where we are and come april that will change and i'm very much looking forward to just like hey let's build this feature Okay, that's what we're working on instead of, okay, let's overhaul all the data architecture, all of the interface, all of the flows. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, Paul's a smart guy and Fathom's doing well and they're doing this interesting like major version thing. And I was like, should we be doing that? That maybe Is that a good idea? And, like, <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> it's funny, like it just makes me, it makes it clearer to me. Like it, it can definitely be a trap to imitate something you see even if it's being done by a successful company, because just because they're doing it doesn't mean it's good, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy with V3, and I'm happy with the fact that there's going to be a lot of cool stuff for our customers that happens all at once. But as well, like that when we launch it, I know support is just going to skyrocket. I'm also working on all of the documentation and training video, like all of the things that go along with, we can't just ship a release and be like, yay, pop the sparkling apple juice or whatever. It has to be, there's a lot that goes into it. We have to rewrite a lot of the marketing copy and we're, we're updating the marketing website because we have all of these features that are coming out that we that aren't even mentioned in the current version because those features don't exist yet. 
So it is requiring so much work. If I had the choice to do it this way, I'd probably choose not to. But where we're at isn't the worst thing in the world because we're we're just coming up with all these cool things. And because we got ourselves to this point in the way that we're doing it, we've been able to come up with some really cool things. So I'm happy about it, but it is a slog. Like for me as well, like it kind of feels like writing a book. Like the last couple big projects I've done are writing books and those aren't like a tiny iteration every every week kind of thing. So I'm used to this, but I also am looking forward to not doing it this way. <laughs> so and you mentioned that support, you're expecting that to to spike up quite a bit. And support is something that's been kind of on my mind. I've been kind of dealing with so I did a product hunt launch for Savvy Cal last month and that sent a huge wave of customers and a bunch. I fielded like fifteen hundred support emails. Just like people asking questions, a lot of people just giving like initial feedback. I ask a couple questions in the first email that goes out. And so it's mostly just me thanking people for sharing information and trying to digest all of that. And then, of course, answering customer questions, too. But I found it, you know, extremely difficult to make forward progress on the product while also fielding all of that. And so I've been thinking, like, it's probably time to to get some help on the support front. But I mean, I'm kind of inspired by by the way you guys operate by kind of the stuff you talk about in Company of One, like the idea of working with contractors or people who are just really skilled at a particular discipline and like tapping those resources as opposed to, you know, trying to like grow those resources in-house. And so I've been thinking like in my ideal realm, I kind of want to explore hiring a company that is really has a lot of expertise in like finding, vetting and hiring really good support people and... I'm not talking like outsourcing for cost reasons to a foreign country or something where they don't speak English. I'm talking like, you know, probably an expensive service, but one where where I'm not managing the day-to-day employees who are doing the work. And I'm curious what you think about that model or if you've like thought about how you might, you know, expand support for that. Yeah. Jack and I have kind of talked about this as well. And I think we we'll eventually get to that place where we need to bring somebody on. We're going to need to bring on a developer because most of the questions that we get as well, I would say probably half of our support is just people asking us questions or at the moment asking us for features that we're work that we're actively working on, which that's just where we're at. But then the other half of the emails are support and half of those can be answered pretty quickly with just here's how you do this. You're using Vue. Here's how you implement Palm using Vue. Like that's, here's a document that we've written. You just didn't find it, which is our fault for not making it easier and searchable. Here's how you do that thing. And then the other 25% is the support questions that require actual work. I feel bad. Jack feels most of those sound not technical. So when we need support, we're going to need to bring on somebody who's skilled at programming. And that's not going to be cheap. <laughs> and so I was kind of curious what you were going to do. Because I'm like, oh, whatever Derek does, that sounds like if he finds a company that's really good at that, then maybe Jack and I can, can do that. Because we are going to have to bring somebody on for that. Just like we brought on a privacy officer who's um contractor. But I don't th- like we couldn't afford to hire somebody full time at her level, which we required. But we can hire a freelancer who does this who is the top of her game as far as like GDPR and compliance goes. 
And we only need her for a couple hours a week, just like with support. It, in the beginning, I'm sure, same with you, it would probably be like a few hours a day, a few hours a week kind of thing. So, but we're also looking at, okay, well, what can we do as far as like video tutorials? Like if we get the same question two or three times and like, how can we just solve this for good kind of thing? But still people are going to ask, like you can't solve, and I've been working, trying to work through this for years. It's like, you can't solve for people not reading or not looking for something and emailing instead. And that's their prerogative to do that. But it still requires work on the company's end to 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 feel those questions. So I don't have an answer to that, man. Like I'm, we're not at that place yet, but we're getting very close to that place where it's also like people have asked us like like just release this feature, it'll be quick. And it's like it takes so much work to work on a company, to run the company day to day, and to release new things. And it feels on the outside like we're moving at a snail's pace, but. Jack and I are putting in so many hours a day trying to like run the thing, do the support, build the product out. And we're almost at a point where it's like, this is too much for the two of us. So we're going to need to, yeah, hire a contractor, hire a company who does this for a living kind of thing. Hiring like one support person, probably not that big of a overhead burden. Maybe I'm blowing it up in my head a little too much, but I'm just imagining all of the possible like distractions that could come from just doing that extra company building stuff like you know doing the kind of regular check-ins with the person and all the training which would i would have to do regardless but if they decide to move on well then you gotta like scramble and find a replacement and i'm just seeing all the potential areas that would distract from from actually improving the product and it just i'm just like do i want to do that now is now the time it's it's a struggle if we do that, we're going to document the process. So we only have to document that process once and then just iterate on it. And I kind of like doing support as well, where I learn more about the product by going through the emails, answering the emails, talking to the people than I do just like making the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Where are you at with support and stuff, Ben? We were just realizing yesterday, I think we're actually really lucky in support wise because we have like tens of thousands of people using our app and we have one part-time support person. I think part of it is our customer base is technical developers. If they're like me and most developers I know, they don't really want to email support for something. You know, that's kind of like the last resort. Like I tried to do this thing and I maybe even looked at the docs and like, I can't figure it out. Help me out. I think part of it is that. And and also like we sort of intentionally try to make the app do a sort of narrow slice of things. So it's we try to keep it pared down. But I think we're just kind of in like a special, happy, lucky place where it's mostly pretty easy to do tuple support. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, even coming from the last business that I had and sold last year was a WordPress business. And that had easily 10, 20 times the support versus Fathom. And most of that support was my WordPress install is completely like, I have 1800 plugins and yours doesn't work. It's like, it's nothing to do with us. With all three of our products, the the product is fairly narrow in scope and it doesn't require all of these other things or an ecosystem of other products to work for it to work. And that's so blissful. Yeah, yeah. 
So when you end up having to like support the internet, I, who's talked about this? I think Mailchimp has talked about this, where like they just had to invest big time in support and just like teaching people how to like use websites, and, <laughs> and it's just because people would ask them, and eventually I think they just gave in, and they're like, okay, well, this is our our way to to make our customers happy is to help them with these things that technically don't align with our purview. And I'm hoping that I won't have to, yeah, get, or that any of us will have to get into that realm of like supporting the internet as a whole. (laughs) Our user base is not nearly as technical as yours, Ben, but a lot of our customers are at, they're all at least internet savvy and a lot of them are fairly technical and so we have like the support questions where it's like, well, I just, I don't know how to put your code into my website. And then we have some that are like, I'm trying to hack you. I'm trying to reverse engineer your API, which isn't even public yet. And I want to do this and this and this. So. Derek, I'm a little surprised you have much of a support burden at this point. Like what are, what are your high volume support? Well, honest, triggers? honestly, it's if I like kind of segment it, up. It's a lot of people responding to my initial questions on like, how'd you hear about us? And why'd you choose to sign up? And I try to give people more than just like a one liner, like, try to actually contextualize it a bit, which just takes time. And then a lot of feature requests right now. And and like you said, Paul, like, I feel like I feel pretty good about those in general, because most of the time, it's like stuff that's already in the plans, like I have pretty good fit right now with the people who are coming in the door and asking for things. Most of the time, I'm I'm not having to say no, you know, because it's like, yep, that is totally in the plans. And my way of typical way of responding is like, I will I'll circle back with you when I have an, an update on progress on this. And I just like drop them in a little checklist on the on the ticket that I have filed in the system. I don't know. Try to give people some sense of like when it's coming, like, is it in the near term, is it in the far term, and like, how important is it for them? So usually there's a little bit of a back and forth on like, is this on the range of like, nice to have to deal breaker, where does this fall for you? And all that is, is like really valuable inputs into product development, obviously, but it just takes time to, to kind of have those back, back and forth conversations. And, and then I would say probably like 20% of them are people who are confused about how to use the product, which is, I'm pretty surprised by and pretty happy with that because we don't have a ton of docs. Like I, I build KB docs kind of as questions arise. If I feel like, yeah, this will probably come up again or this has come up multiple times, I'll like write the answer in a KB doc and send them a link and say, hey, I just wrote this up. Like, let me know if this answers your question. And But it's been iterative. So I haven't, I don't even have like a demo video. I need to, it's on the to-do list to do to like, here's how the product works in these three easy steps, you know? So yeah. I wonder if there's kind of a one-to-many thing that would help here. Like if, if, if you're spending a lot of time kind of confirming the roadmap and talking about the priority and letting people weigh in and stuff, like there definitely are those like public roadmap-y type tools where it's like let people upvote their favorite thing and let the, you know, you can come in and say, hey, this is scheduled for Q3 or whatever. Yeah. When I hear you thinking about hiring a support person, maybe that's that might be the right call. I don't know. But also, I, I wonder if there's like maybe a couple rounds of, can I just reduce support by 50% with some work, like some sort of one-timer type things that might be worth trying? Yeah. I think a video would be huge. Like when, when I did a video for ours, and it, the video is literally explaining what all the words mean on the dashboard. When we say unique, this is what unique means. When we say bounce, this is what bounce means. There was a noticeable decrease in support when I did that. It's like a two-minute video. 
And it was literally just explaining the words on the dashboard. And that was what, that's what people want. Like, that's what people were asking about. They're like, well, if this is what a bounce rate is in Google Analytics, what's a bounce rate of fat? And it's like, that helped. Yep. Yep. I keep identifying things that are like, I can make this better in the UI. So this question will probably not arise. Like I, I made some changes to some default settings with respect to the calendar that's attached to links. It, it improved it in many ways, but it also introduced one potential case where like if someone removes their Google account and then re-adds their calendar, it'll like disconnect the calendar from the links. And then it doesn't automatically reconnect it because turns out that that can produce unexpected results or like leak out an email address that you didn't want people to see or something like that. So I've gotten like 10 questions about this of like um, events aren't being put on my calendar and it's because they're not noticing that it was disconnected from the link. And I consider those things to be bugs. You know, that's like that's a problem that is on me to fix. And once once it's fixed, it won't be a stumbling block for people anymore. But enough of those things gradually start to crop up where it's like I could spend weeks probably like ironing out those wrinkles, but I also have like bigger initiatives I want to focus on too. So maybe the maybe the answer is like getting getting some more development help first to kind of help work on some of those housekeeping things while also moving forward on the bigger initiatives. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That could be true. This is the thing I keep toying we sort of toy with for ourselves, which is like the idea of like a public or like more publicly visible support forum type thing because if people are bumping to this rough edge but a lot of people are emailing you the same question about that rough edge if you don't want to prioritize the time to fix it now you could at least have a thing which is like there's this thing we know about it here's yeah. the workaround and then anyone like other people can kind of self-help there yeah. yeah i think if the community's big enough that kind of that can definitely i see that working where the there are going to be power users and super keen users who are eager to help others in the community on like a message board or a Slack or whatnot. I think the the caveat there is it can turn into, well, now I expect real-time help from the people making it. I've done that and seen it work, and I've done that and <laughs> seen it fail horribly where I felt like I was just on call. I think it came down to the size of the community and the activeness of the community. If nobody was active unless they were asking a question and nobody was replying to that question and then it was just like, okay, I, I guess I need to reply. It was just like, I just created another support channel for myself and it feels real time and this is not good. Yeah, where something that concerns me about it is like the when it's public, then it's kind of like there's extra public pressure. There's potentially other eyeballs seeing the response time on this thing. And of course, I always strive for like a speedy, accurate reply. But if this is happening out in public, it just it takes away some of the one on one nuance. And it's like now now people can just make judgment calls based on how snappy responses are on this public forum, you know? Yeah, I do think sometimes folks email questions that they might even know the answer to just to see like i feel like at least some of the bigger folks that that have signed up and used our product sent us emails where it was like written on the homepage what they were asking and those used to annoy me and now i'm like i think i kind of get these and i'm happy to kind of answer them and make these people feel like it's not just going to be we'll get back to your email within like seven to 14 days it's like, no, me or Jack are going to reply typically within the hour if we're awake and and typically within 15 minutes <laughs> if we're awake. And it just feels like sometimes people just want that reassurance. Like, okay, if I'm going to be spending 
a bunch of money with this company. Is there somebody on the other end who has my back? I'm like, yeah, we totally do. That's us. We're here. <laughs> so you just want to do some quick updates? Sure. Talk about what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So uh, for me, we'd had some founder time yesterday, which is awesome. So we've been kind of like working remotely, separating that kind of thing. But we got together yesterday afternoon. Uh, Spencer Joel and I did, and it was it was so nice. It was just like I remember why I started a company with these people. They're good. Like it's fun to hang out with them. We just like legitimately like each other, and it was like really pleasant to like hang out and like spend time and talk about the company. And we like took a long walk outside while talking about a number of things, which I think is like a really kind of a nice a nice discussion format, I guess, because you're gives you something to do kind of like keeps your brain active it's just it's like walking meetings i think are, are underrated in general mm-hmm. agreed and so yeah so we did like just figured out when we're going to do our next like quarterly retreat for planning made some decisions about things f- settled on some strategies for the year and it just like was like nice i like came out of it very energized you seem pretty zen like you seem like it I feel, awesome. Yeah, I feel, I feel good. It was like some things have been up in the air. We made some decisions. Everybody's on board. I think we reached some pretty good consensus on a bunch of things. So, yeah, I felt I felt really good. I'm optimistic. By the evening, I was like, "Ah, oh, man, life is good. Like, we're this is gonna be great. We're gonna make this product so good." It, was, it felt good. Nice. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is important to re-energize yourself from time to time because it can. It can turn into a grind and before you know it, it feels like you're, I mean, these, these startups take a lot of mental effort <laughs> and energy and it can suck a lot out of you if you don't deliberately recharge, right? So totally. that's good. And for me, the social part is like the fun part. So to like be working remotely and not see each other is just like, it's, oh, it's like the least, it's the least fun part for me day after day. Uh, so that was, that was cool. And I've also been working to figure out how we're going to improve our onboarding. We got some onboarding problems. <laughs> and I've been working with uh, our designer for a bit, trying to figure out what is a like, the struggle has been like, what is a concrete set of problems that are important and solvable in about a month that we can bite off here? Because like we, we got in the weeds so fast because there's just like, there's 10 different things that could be better. And they all kind of fall under like onboarding, kind of. But in fact, like it's like you can't. No one, no human could ship this in any reasonable amount of time. This is too much. So trying to figure out like what are the, what are a couple problems that we could make better than they are today? Not like not fully solve, not the most glorious version we could imagine, but just like push it forward a bit. Uh, and that was that was a challenge. That, those meetings are are tricky. It was, it was definitely a bit draining. <laughs> What's the model for prioritizing then? What's it? You get the big list of things that all the things you want to work on, then you narrow it down. What are the parameters for narrowing? Yeah, I wish I had a better answer to that. I'd say right now it's pretty ad hoc. I mean, in the past, we've sometimes ordered things by like impact, uh, confidence and ease, you know, like assign some scores and and do a weighted list there. But most of the time, it's kind of more like, like today, we were just kind of like, all right, I think like balancing impact and how confident are we we can ship this in the in the amount of time that we want to dedicate to it so yeah it was uh by gut feel i guess is my current prioritization system but you're kind of doing that impact ease like all that is happening behind the scenes 
when you're developing your gut feel, right? I mean, it's whether it's deliberate or just kind of like you intuit it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you trust, trust my intuition, then yeah, I guess that's happening behind the scenes, but maybe I'm just making, uh, uninformed <laughs> guesses. It was funny. We had this call and then we hung up and I was like kind of sitting there thinking for a while. And then like, while I was like off, like making a cup of coffee and just like letting my brain kind of relax, something popped into my head that felt like a possibly a really good solution to some of the problems we'd have. And so like, I started kind of rapidly sketching some stuff out before this, this podcast. So, uh, as usual, the subconscious was chewing on it. And I think I may have come up with a good thing while not really thinking about it. I'm excited. It'll be nice to, to kind of un, un, unnarl that, that part of the app, which has not really been improved on for quite some time. Yeah. This, I mean, it definitely feels like something that you'll want to just chop up into as small chunks as possible and just start start piecemeal shipping them out. And then, yeah, the devil's in like ordering those, like what's the most, you know, highest priority, highest impact. But, but yeah, I mean, you can probably really start making little, little baby steps of progress on that. Yeah. The like perfectionist in me wants to do the big bang. Like, no, no, we got to figure out the core thing here and solve all the problems by making a fundamental shift. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) that's so risky and so hard. Uh, So just maybe chill out and like, is it going to be better next month if you do this? Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be better. All right, well, then just take that one step. I also think there's something to be said for not throwing too much difference at a user (laughs) at once. I mean, I know I'm doing that right now, (laughs) but ignoring that. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) This will be uh, for new people only. True, yeah, onboarding. It's not so much a change, but it is, I am kind of fighting my natural tendency, which is like, I like to tend to, I tend to want to focus on like, improving the product for existing users and i don't want to step back out and like delete the app and like create a new account and do it from scratch and like see all the ugly stuff along the way it's just like uh let's just make new let's just make good software i don't want to think about where should you confirm your email in this process or something because it's just less inherently appealing to me um but then like i started building some analytics dashboards for our funnel and it's like wow there's a big drop between here and here like that's unfortunate. We're just we're kind of not helping people out. So let's let's do better. Yeah, because I mean, it's arguably one of the most important parts of the product is the on ramp into it, right? So, but I'm with you on that. It's a lot easier to no to get really comfortable focusing on like the nitty gritty mm-hmm. internals of the application as opposed to the first run experience. Right, and yeah, and it makes my life better. Yeah, I use the app as a already fully onboarded right, you know, user. Right. Yeah, um, and that's my kind of like model user in my head is that. Yeah. But yeah, especially for an app like ours where like the right successful trial is potentially thousands of seats. Um, it's like, yeah, uh, trial conversion rate is pretty important where like it, it could like sometimes a, a successful trial just blows up once it actually works. So every person we lose at the margin is, you know, potentially a huge difference to the business. So focusing here makes a lot of sense. I think what you said there's important too is that we all use our product, but we all use our product as existing users. So when I'm looking at, even when I'm looking at onboarding stuff for myself, I was like, I haven't looked at this for six, nine months. And so, yeah, it makes me think that I kind of want to watch some people um, sign up or talk to some new folks and see kind of, because like we could see where things drop off, but I want to 
yeah, I think understanding why or what was going on in their mind or even like, I want people to sign up for the thing and be happy. Like, and I don't know, I can't measure that by looking at like just drop off rate. I want to see like if somebody smiled when they got to like the next page. Totally. So yeah, I, yeah, I think I need to spend more time doing that. You're right. I need- yeah, we're doing that as, as part of this effort is like bribing people to record themselves signing up because I've, I've literally never done this and not been like, have just like a, a hundred head slapping oh my god moments about like how bad the onboarding is because you just can't see it anymore after a certain period of time yeah. it's hard to convince yourself to like i kind of want to naturally avoid that like watching users use your product is always one of the most painful things in the world because <laughs> yep. it's, like, it's like am i ready to feel really self-conscious about the whole entire product i don't know if i have the strength to do that right now you know but it's worth it's always worthwhile it's like uh, watching a video of yourself performing in some way. It's just like kind of agonizing, but also like I had no idea I did that weird tick with my hands. Like it's 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 worth a lot to do it to suffer through that pain. Derek, do you want to do a update? Yeah. So I'm taking like partial vacation this week. I've been hiking around a bunch, but managed to wrap up kind of a major UX overhaul pass on the scheduling page itself, trying to address like a bunch of a bunch of little issues that have cropped up, you know, it's making the the duration selector a little bit more prominent, moving kind of the main call to action on the page from the bottom up to the top and kind of overall not a huge shift, but like a bunch of little things that have just been mentioned time and time again from from customers, making it so that when you click on a click on a slot, it like gives you a little floating form similar to like on Google Calendar when you create an event as opposed to changing the sidebar, like keeps it in context and makes sure you know that the thing you just clicked, here's the form for the thing you just clicked. Like, so everything just kind of feels nicer. I simplified a bunch of the code to like unified the mobile and desktop interfaces. So before I was like keying off of when, when the screen size got beyond a certain point, like render a different component. And I was like, sharing some components between the two but it was still like a nightmare it was like a 2000 line long react app that (laughs) had this like conditional in there and every time i updated one i'd have to update the other and so i was like i know there's a way to just use like breakpoints and some fancy tailwind wizardry to get these things under one one set of html and so i was like okay this i'm gonna see if i can make this happen on this pass and was able to get that done too so feel pretty good about Good about that. I did accidentally ship a bug, which is a head-slapping moment. Like, shipped it early in the day. Then I went off and hiked for a while and came back, and there were a few support tickets that were, like, indicative that something was going on. It's like, damn it. Ah, I hate it when that happens. So it led to kind of a, a cocktail of different circumstances would lead to an event getting put twice on someone's calendar when someone booked and it would spin up like two different Zoom meetings, like they'd be different Zoom meetings on the different events. I basically went through, figured out everyone who was affected and emailed them manually. So it took like an hour and a half and sent them links to the, like, hey, sorry, really sorry. Here's what happened. Here's the links to the duplicates. And basically, like, you'll kind of need to manually resolve this because I thought about just like deleting one of the duplicates, but the recipient received both notifications. So they may just click the wrong Zoom meeting for the one that was deleted. And then it would be confusion at the moment when the meeting happened. So so that was fun. But 
humbling, you know, and nobody got too angry. People appreciated the transparency. So aside from that, I'm kind of weighing, starting to take on the Outlook integration. Um, I'm wanting to get at least a beta of that ready sometime within the first quarter of this year. That's kind of what I've been setting expectations for. So we'll see. I just need to, I need to bite off a chunk of time and, and hopefully wrap my arms around the scope of how, how big is this going to be? Like it might be really fast. I've built some abstractions on the back end that would theoretically make it not too difficult to plug in a different calendar provider, but you just never know. Like edge cases get, get funny. <laughs> so it's like that final, that final 20% of technical implementation might be just like weeks and weeks of manually QAing things and finding bugs and fixing them and dealing with quirks and stuff. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. You think you have an abstraction until you actually try to use it in a different right. case. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And I can, yeah, it's like, Oh geez. Yeah. I can already identify a bunch of places where it's just like, no, I'm totally violating the boundaries of this abstraction. And I know that's going to, that's going to bite me in the butt when I try to use that. So yeah. Do you feel like you can ever be fully on vacation and, Second part to that, do you want to be ever fully on vacation? I don't currently feel like I can be fully on vacation. And my goal is to get there as soon as possible. And the support piece, that's another reason why it's kind of been on my mind. You know, there hasn't been a ton of support this week, for example, but I'll do a little thing. Like I just, just a fat tire biked around the Sonoran Desert for like four hours yesterday morning. Super fun. But then came back and there were like, you know, 10 support emails. And I just felt like, this anxiety around like, okay, I, these have been waiting for a while now. I need to get on these and like triage them at least. And I don't like that feeling. I want to be able to take a full day and feel like I'm not letting customers down. I feel actually pretty good about the technical side. Like I, I sort of envy the amount of serverless that you guys are using because that's like a theoretical dream of mine is to be in the place where like it's all being handled by third parties. And I basically have zero ops to be worried about. But I'm pretty close to that because I'm on Heroku and things just kind of work. And if Heroku has an issue, they'll just restart dynos and it's generally just fine, you know? So like on the technical side, I'm less concerned this go around than I was with like Drip where we were just constantly dealing with weird scaling problems and queue problems. And so I basically had my laptop on me at all times, like for a couple years. So I don't quite feel that tethered with Savvy Cal, but things like the support and stuff make me, I, I usually have to put in a little bit of time every day and I don't, I don't like that. So. I feel less stressed if I do that. Like I, I typically, when I'm traveling, I'll wake up, spend about an hour working and then go about my day for the day. And my wife has realized this as well as I feel less stressed and I'm more generally happy and pleasant to be around. If I just do like 40 to 60 minutes in the mornings on most days if whether we're traveling or not and then i can kind of then i can kind of put it away for a bit and then do do whatever i need to do uh outside of that but it's a struggle. like i wish i wasn't i wish i wasn't like that i wish i could just take days off but i'm also i guess i'm kind of okay with the fact that if this is how i operate then let's just optimize for that instead of trying to be a different person <laughs> kind of thing so honestly i think i would be I mean, that is definitely my comfort zone is to put in just at least a little bit first thing in the morning. Like that's kind of my my flow as well. And I actually think that 
I'd be pretty happy with that. I tend to like, I'm a little bit more, slightly more of a morning person than my wife is. So like, I can usually like get up, make a cup of coffee, work for 45 minutes, and she's still like waking up. So it's like not interfering with harmony in that sense where like, I can stow away, slip in a little bit of work, and it's not like interfering with plans for the day. If I can at least get it constrained to that, where I feel good about just that amount in a day, that'll be a major win. What's going on in your world, Paul? Um... Well, I mean, a lot of it we we chatted about. I'm working a lot on the interface for V3, as well as the new marketing site. And I was talking to you about this a few minutes ago, I guess, making things so that a user isn't surprised by something looking so different that they're like, I used to know how to do this and now I don't. So I'm frustrated. I don't want that. So even though we're adding so many things, we're also working to keep things looking like, okay, does this still look like Fathom? Does this still feel like Fathom? Does this still kind of follow the logical brain that a Fathom user would have for wanting to accomplish something? We want to make it easier, but still in a way that it makes sense based on what V2 is. Because even though Jack and I have been working on V3, none of our users have seen it, right? So it's going to be something new to them. So you don't want it to be a ton different. So a lot of that, Jack has been working a ton on the the data migration piece, which has been a lot, but we're just about, he's probably migrating data right now as I talk to you guys. So it's better for me than him at this specific second. Uh, I'm at the point in quarantine where I just feel like I'm getting a little bored of Groundhog Day where and everybody has said, like, well, th- nothing's changed for you. Like, you worked from home for 20 years, so, like, it's no different. And I'm like, yeah, but I still used to leave my house. Like, I still used to actually go hang out with friends. I'm actually doing that next week. You brought up, like, going for a walk. And I'm doing that with a friend next week. So I'm like, I can still actually do more things than I do. The weather is getting better because I want to bike right now. But I'm too much of a wimp to bike in the cold. Um, so I'm just, I'm looking forward to change right now. A lot of things with the software has been the same for a year. Life within quarantine has been the same for a year. So, and now as things start to like, there's an end in sight conceivably to things. I'm just like, I'm starting to feel like I want to get to the next place because I've been in this moment in this place for so long. So I haven't kind of stressed out and frustrated by that. And the fact that things are going to change soon is both appealing, but stressful that they haven't yet. So I've been kind of sitting in, in that place and there's just, there's so many moving parts with this V3 as well. So like, one week I'll be writing all of the content for the marketing site and the next week I'll be designing for it. And then this week I'm drawing um, illustrations for it. And then as well as working through as Jack comes up against edge cases for the UI for it, I have to go back and remember, okay, this is what I was thinking when I designed it this way. This is how I have to make it different for this use case or this use case or this use case. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Mm. Well, there's an end in sight for the COVID and for Fathom V3 rewrite. <laughs> yes, exactly. So come come spring or summer. I think V3 will happen before everybody being vaccinated. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Maybe sometime this, this summer, life will be good again for you. Fathom V3, is it's a giant 
project that is unmerged, basically. I know it's going to be a cut over to a different code base, but in essence, it's like a big old branch that's not merged. And those are the the most mentally taxing on me is when I have, like, for example, this Outlook integration could easily be that. It could be two months of work with tens of thousands of lines of code changed that are just like sitting out there, not in production yet. And that stresses me out and I feel stagnated by it. And it's like all these things that I have to mentally work through. And I think even if I just like am putting small pieces of it into production as I go, it just, it helps with the mental state. So I'm with you on that. Like, I think it's going to feel really good once you guys get that, get that shipped. And then it's on a more uh, incremental release cycle. It's going to do wonders, I think. Yeah, I think so. Even just making final decisions about things feels good. Like the the decision to use um, where we're where we're storing the data was a big decision that took a long time, and we tested so many things, and we're testing like, okay, does it? How fast is a query for somebody who has five thousand page views a month versus how fast is this query if somebody has a hundred million page views a month? Because we have a couple customers that just have like mind blowing amounts of data, and it's been tough. And it's fine because like I know this, but I don't viscerally feel it until it happens it's like making a decision to move forward and just knowing okay this is the decision we're pretty sure it's right um we've done our due diligence and research but this is the decision we're making we're not changing our freaking minds on it it just feels like okay there's this weight that kind of lifts where it's like okay we've made the decision to move forward and if we need to change it in the future way in the future then that it could potentially happen probably won't but just the the decision to like, okay, this is locked down. Now let's move on to this. This is locked down. Now let's move on to that. It's like, if I can't make progress and ship things, at least I feel like I want to make progress deciding on things and then moving to the next thing. That might be a good place to wrap it. Cool. Paul, thanks for coming by. It's nice having a, a third voice on here. It's fun chatting with you. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, this is this is great. I think this is my only interview this year or my only like oh, nice. podcast appearance. This is not really we an interview. The, it's like my only podcast appearance this year. We got the Paul exclusive. So. That's great. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm also honored to be one of the 15 people that knows your secret email address. <laughs> yeah. Which we will not no. publish in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks as long that. as I can get a free Fathom account. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, thanks. This was, this is a ton of fun to, to chat. And uh, I, it, it reminds me too how important it is to sometimes like just catch up with folks who are kind of going through the same thing and, and that. So this was, this was super helpful. This is why I did this. And this is the only one that I'm doing is this was helpful to me. And awesome. yeah, so thank you. Great. Totally. It's also cool like to have someone else ask Derek different questions than I would think <laughs> to ask. Like, it's just, it's just nice. Just like that sort of prompts. It's, it's good variety, I think. And I could just sit here hating the fact that I can see a palm tree in the background. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't some strange flex I was trying to do. It just just showed up in the frame. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See you. Bye.